electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford here at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Deirdre Bosa has the morning off. A busy day today, actually. Market's seen an ugly end of the year. NASDAQ down nearly 9% over the last three weeks. We'll take a look at where to pile in and what to avoid going into 23. Plus, Microsoft responds to the FTC. We'll get the latest on the tech giant's battle with the government to acquire Activision Blizzard. Finally, cybersecurity struggles. The bug ETF hitting its lowest levels since 2020. Uh, Zscaler CEO Jay Chaudhry joins us later this hour and what we can expect from that space next year. Yeah, let's start with stocks. Tech sector NASDAQ back near the lows of the year. The last few weeks have just been ugly. Frank Holland joins us with December's move and what it could signal for 2023. Frank? Hey there, John. A lot of red here at the NASDAQ, as you can see behind me. The NASDAQ 100 on pace for a 9% decline this month, a third straight week of losses, and a 33% decline this year. Apple having the biggest negative impact in December on the tech-heavy index, dragging it down 147 points. Tesla more than 109 points lower. As investors, of course, have a lot of concerns about Elon Musk running Twitter and also falling deliveries. Wedbush actually today lowering its estimate for Q4 deliveries. Chips, again, under pressure. Micron's disappointing earnings, job cuts weighing on the space overall that is facing demand issues. We're talking applied materials, NVIDIA, some of the names leading the NASDAQ lower this month. Uh, when you're looking for names that are moving the NASDAQ higher, especially today, likely names you don't really associate with the NASDAQ. We're talking oil company Diamondback, Trucker, Old Dominion among the stocks moving the tech-heavy index higher today. Obviously, investors looking for other names in the NASDAQ. And Moderna, again, a name you may not associate with the NASDAQ 100, having the biggest positive impact on the index in December. In fact, it's, all, it's one of only 10 stocks moving the NASDAQ 100 higher this month. Back over to you. Yeah, Frank, taking it broader than the NASDAQ, and I was just looking, you know who's had a great year to date so far? T-Mobile, up 20%. Box is up 17.5%, and IBM is up 5 but Then on the flip side, you've got more of those kind of newer startup-y names, Carvana and Vroom. Those auto names are down more than 90% each. Affirm is down 91 App Lovin' right. down 90 And then, of course, Coinbase as well. It's just been... Ah, a gut punch of a year for those cutting edge, Kathy Woody (laughs) type of stocks. I mean, nobody's talking about, you know, T-Mobile and IBM shaking things up. And a lot of folks have left Box by the wayside after that activist pressure. But some of those kind of slow and steady, it's a year of the tortoise. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, John. You have a great point, especially in Q4 when you look at names like IBM, Cisco, S&P. All of them are having strong quarters even as we've seen some other mega cap tech names have a very difficult December and a difficult few weeks. So really, I think it depends on the exact business. Um, I was talking about this on some other shows yesterday, especially when it comes to those cloud and enterprise names that have been heavily under pressure. It's really about, hey, what do you do? Are you mission critical? Are you multifaceted? And of course, IBM, Cisco, SAP are among the names that provide multifunctionality, for lack of a better way to say it. Frank, appreciate that. Uh, Frank Holland this morning. uh, Wait, Carl, before you go. Let's 
Before you, I, I noticed Let's, you guys connected on the pound yesterday, on the first yes. try. Indeed. Yep. We made that work, Frank. We'll talk to you a bit, Frank Holland. Let's continue this conversation, bringing David Katz of Matrix Assets Advisors, who is bullish on technology here. David, it's great to have you. It sounds like uh, you are willing to say there's going to be maybe some additional weakness short term, but that beginning next year, we're going to once again start to talk about the long term potential around some of these franchises. Exactly. We're a value shop. So we're rarely, we're value and dividend. We're rarely excited about technology companies. In light of the 35% decline in NASDAQ, in light of the 50 to 70% decline in a lot of companies, we are very upbeat about these companies. We think the worst is behind them. Might be some more short-term turbulence. However, if you look at a lot of these businesses, they're great businesses. And many of them are selling at 15, 16 times earnings and a few under 10 times earnings. We think it's a great time to be buying. You have to hold, close your eyes because short-term anything can happen. But we think a year from now, a lot of stocks can be 30 to 40 to 50 percent higher. I know you're watching a lot of the big guys, Amazon, Google, PayPal, Qualcomm, Apple. How does that conversation happen even as estimates, in your view, are, are going to continue to come down? Well, the estimates are coming down, but you have to put that in perspective. A lot of these companies normally sell at 30 or 40 times earnings, and today they're at 14 or 15 times earnings. Right now, the market is focused on negative momentum. We think you have an end-of-the-year flush in terms of tax selling, uh, in terms of portfolio uh, window dressing. Uh, but we think that people are going to look beyond a weak 2023 toward 2024, which is a recovery, and say, hey, these companies are selling at 15 times earnings. They normally sell at 30 times earnings. Let's take Amazon, for example. They generally sell between two to three and a half times sales. The average is about 2.8 times sales. Today, they're at about 1.65 times sales. So we think you're getting a lot of really good businesses, really good long-term prospects. We're less concerned about the very near term, uh, but long-term, you're getting at a great price. And long-term, these companies are going to come back very nicely. But, David, uh, uh, it's interesting to me that they've reset in different ways. So you mentioned Alphabet. I think it's back at Q1 2021 levels. Amazon's back at Q1 2019 levels. And PayPal is way back to Q4 2017 levels. So are they at different points in uh, their execution, in the viability of their strategies? Do investors need to be careful about seeing just that they're cheap? Are there different reasons why some of these names are cheap? Well, there are different reasons why some of the names are cheap. However, in aggregate, the technology basket has been thrown, you know, uh, has, the baby's been thrown out with the bathwater. You want to look at the companies. You want to buy companies that have good long-term prospects. So we're still wary about the Zooms of the world that sold off or the Pelotons of the world that sold off significantly because they were COVID stay-at-home plays. But the companies that we highlighted here are all have very good long-term business prospects. We like the management of most of them, by and large. We think PayPal has gotten religion in terms of cost cutting. We think they have great prospects, yet you're buying it at 15 times earnings. So we're less concerned about where the levels are back to. We're more concerned about the valuations and the prospects for the next one to two years. And we think it's a great time to be buying them uh, if you're willing to look a year out. It's a painful time you to be buying them if you're buying them today. Yeah. Are you concerned that um, whatever growth comes is going to have to be organic, given that uh, M&A is going to face a lot of regulatory scrutiny um, and, uh, and I get you know, international pressures? How much of it is really going to have to come from their core business? It's all going to have to come from their core businesses. We think for, for the near term, as you said, M&A has really been shut down. So 
it, it's a question that you've got really good long-term businesses. Google is the largest search engine uh, in the world, yet it sells at 15 or 16 times earnings. We think there are many, many prospects like that. Qualcomm doesn't have to buy anybody. Uh, they are going to be a dominant chip franchise for wireless communications, for uh, the input, you know, the Internet of Everything, for automobiles. Yet you're buying it at 10 and a half times earnings with a 2.7 times yield. So we're not looking for these companies to acquire. In fact, we prefer they don't acquire. We think that they will get back to growth and they're going to get a significant multiple expansion as the earnings bottom out and people look forward to 24. With everything you said, I wonder if you consider the Micron news and the call there and, and some of their guidance for next year sort of an affirmation of your view uh, that things may get a little worse before they get better, or if it was just so uh, so bearish and with so many uh, fallout ramifications that it, it made you maybe uh, second-guess this theory. Well, again, the, 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 our thesis is based on a 12-month outlook, and, and generally, Technology companies will bottom out when the news is bad. So we think the news is pretty bad, especially for semiconductors. Um, so, you know, that is consistent with what we're seeing. We think by the time that people think that they're bottoming out, the stocks are going to move well in advance of that. What you are seeing is uh, Micron went down a lot more when things were really good. And now that things are pretty bad, it's going down at a slower pace. That's going to be the start. And then it will go up. But again, we, we prefer uh, Qualcomm out of the semiconductor area right. or Texas Instruments. Right. And do you think uh, if, if technology, say, is your favorite trade, is its biggest competition going to come from uh, the likes of industrials and sort of classic uh, old economy companies or maybe just uh, fearful utilities and staples kinds of trades? We, we think it's market psychology. Once the market stops being fearful that the Fed is going to raise rates forever and throw us into a deep recession, uh, we think people are going to come back to looking at businesses on a longer-term basis, and you're able to buy. Uh, we think technology is going to be a place that people come back to. I think industrials should come back. We think financials are also well-positioned for next year. Uh, the things that did really well this year we're less enthusiastic about. So consumer staples have had a great run. We've had a lot of them. We've been selling them. Uh, we think that's going to slow down, and, and we're less enthusiastic about energy as well. Interesting, David. We're, we're going to put this playbook uh, to the test in the coming months. A uh, really good uh, outlook for the coming year. See you soon. Happy holidays. Thanks a lot. You as well. All right, Microsoft responding to the FTC after it sued to block the $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Steve Kovac joins us with the latest. Microsoft arguing we're just a lowly number three yes. in gaming. That's basically what they're saying, John. So look, Microsoft has been making many of the same arguments we've heard since the deal was first announced in this response to the FTC lawsuit. The big one, the big theme here is Microsoft wants to offer Call of Duty on rival platforms for at least 10 years and is even willing to make that enforceable by the courts. Now, the FTC lawsuit from a couple weeks ago raised concerns about making Call of Duty, a multi, which is a multi-billion dollar gaming franchise that Activision has, exclusive to Microsoft platforms. Now, Microsoft President Brad Smith offering an olive branch to the FTC to settle, saying in a new statement, quote, even with confidence in our case, we remain committed to creative solutions with regulators that will protect competition, consumers, and workers in the tech sector. As we've learned from our lawsuits in the past, the door never closes on the opportunity to find an agreement that can benefit 
anyone. So what's next here in this case? Now, both sides are expected to meet in court early in January to set a schedule for the following months. They'll go through discovery and all that process. But there's always a chance they can reach a settlement, as Brad Smith seems to want, before the trial happens. Also, don't forget, regulators in the EU and UK are scrutinizing the deal and could kill it before the FTC does. Now, Activision shares are still trading well below Microsoft's offer of $95 a share. So we know how confident investors are that this deal will get done, John. Steve, um, the, the narrative changes whether you're talking about the reasons for the deal and then the reasons for regulators not to block the deal. But if Microsoft's just going to give Call of Duty access to everybody who wants it on every platform, what's the point of buying it? Yeah, there are a lot of points, actually. So first of all, Activision, they're really going after Activision because of its mobile business. Now, in this response, uh, Microsoft lays out, look, we don't have a great presence in mobile, and this is going to help boost that mobile gaming business, which, by the way, John, that's where most people play games. They play games on their phones and on their tablets, not on these consoles. So they're making that one argument as well. At the same time, Call of Duty, it makes most of its money off-platform, off of Xbox, off of PC. You've got to uh, take into account uh, PlayStation and other uh, platforms that Call of Duty is on. So Microsoft's saying, hey, look, we're spending $69 billion on this company. It makes no sense for us to uh, make Call of Duty exclusive because it wouldn't be worth it. The company's just not worth that much without Call of Duty everywhere all at once. That's why we're offering it. That's what they're saying. You know, Steve, I was trying to decide whether or not we've graduated from uh, large companies playing Mr. Nice Guy to playing tough. But then I thought about the fact that, you know, Meta's been trying to get Lena Khan to recuse. That was earlier in the year. Maybe it's just a continuum of what we've seen. Yeah, so there's a much smaller case going on right now with the FTC suing Meta to unwind or block their acquisition of a really small VR company. And that's kind of this whole, I guess, thesis behind Lena Khan's tenure as chair of the FTC is, look, we want to stop these mergers uh, before they can turn into something big. Again, we always go back to this example, but it's true. They look at Instagram and what Instagram became because Facebook was able to buy it, become a dominant uh, force in social media. And they don't want that to happen again, whether it's in the metaverse or VR with on the meta side or in gaming on the Microsoft side. Yeah, I don't know. $69 billion for a mobile business seems like a lot. And then do you really want to marry somebody and still let them date other people? Like, doesn't that defeat the, I don't know. Well, John, it just seems like the, they the do argument it with Minecraft, John. They bought, yeah, they bought yeah. Minecraft about eight or nine years ago. They still keep yeah, it on it every platform because that's where it makes money. It, it just doesn't make sense. But it wasn't $69 billion. It was like two. That just seems like, I don't know, different. Steve, thank you. Thanks, John. <laughs> Our next guest, meanwhile, still sees Microsoft as a winner for 2023, naming it one of his top picks. Plus, Meta paying nearly a quarter of a billion dollars to settle a class action privacy lawsuit linked to sharing information with Cambridge Analytica. Baird's Colin Sebastian joins us on why he sees 2023 as an uphill battle for Meta and other ad-reliant names. Tech Check, just getting started. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. 
edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's get a gut check on Tesla today. The electric car maker seeing a massive fall from grace, down nearly 40% in three weeks, losing more than half a trillion dollars in market value since the beginning of the quarter. One person jumping ship has been none other than CEO Elon Musk, saying he will not sell any more shares until roughly 2025, but he did make some similar claims back in April. Since then, he sold about $24.5 billion worth of stock and roughly $39 billion since the peak in November of 2021. Uh, a lot of different uh, discussions on that Twitter spaces, John, about the economy, about Fed hikes maybe being the most damaging ever in a hike cycle? Uh, sure. I was mentioning yesterday that uh, that Tesla Walmart race, they're still neck and neck, right? Almost uh, Walmart was a little ahead at the beginning of this session when Tesla was down big. It's since rebounded a bit, though Tesla's still down about one and a half percent. I like that comparison because you know, Walmart is that kind of old school retail value play that does relatively well in a tough economy. And Tesla, that's been one of those names that really went gangbusters uh, during the easy money cycle, as Elon Musk seems to be alluding to. So how they play off of each other from here, I think, um, could be, again, interesting. For now, let's turn back to Microsoft. The stock gaining popularity on the street as we head into the new year with Morgan Stanley, Evercore, and now Oppenheimer all calling Microsoft a top pick for 2023. Here now with his bull case for the stock, Oppenheimer analyst Timothy Horan. Uh, Timothy, welcome. So it makes me a little nervous when everybody likes something. Um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the bear case that you're protecting against here in Microsoft if everybody likes it? Great point. Uh, I've been following it now almost uh, seven years, and it's uh, always been the most loved stock in my universe. So um, it's nothing new here. Uh, and the reason is they really have the dominant tech platform for enterprises and uh, really the cloud platform for enterprises to become a hybrid cloud. And they're really at the stage where they can upsell a lot of new products and services on adjacent markets, um, both vertically with software and moving down into more infrastructure products at this point. But obviously there are risks. Um, this year they uh, they got hit from currency. They got hit from Russia. You know, the biggest longer term risk probably is China. It's probably 10 percent of their profitability between five and 15 percent. Uh, you know, the macro economy is still obviously a risk, but I think they're better positioned than most in a weaker economy. Is there a risk from unbundling? I keep hearing that in the enterprise space right now. Customers are trying to say, no, we want just this one product or capability. We don't want this other stuff that maybe we're not using as much because we're really trying to drive productivity. So if that starts to happen uh, in the marketplace, uh, on the go-to-market, and then you've got this Activision Blizzard thing that, that uh, could take a while to get through, does that perhaps throw them off? Well, Activision won't really affect Microsoft stock price too much. It's kind of less than 4% of the, of the firm value. It's a nice to have. They're trying to create a gaming as a service on their cloud platform, which is basically a brand new product. It's more of a vertical integration. Um, you know, I don't know if the FTC is really going to be able to stop it or the government uh, regulators around the globe at this point because they basically are creating a brand new product. On the unbundling front, uh, that is a risk for the tech. Uh, industry, but Microsoft's bundle is so dominant and they're so early in bundling. They are getting into security, they're getting into uh, CRM, ERP, they are uh, bundling now networking in with their products and services. 
So they're actually going to customers and they are telling the customers, we'll charge you half the price of what you're paying now for about 10, 15 new products and services if you want to save money. And I think customers basically have to use Microsoft uh, for or a majority of enterprise customers for a majority of their tech needs. So Microsoft is really a, a winner from customers looking to save money. You know, we had a discussion a moment ago about uh, the FTC and Activision Blizzard. I wonder how you'd characterize uh, their level of stubbornness to make that happen, how far they're willing to go uh, to get it to close. And if it doesn't work out, if they sort of turn tail on M&A at large or if they have their sights set on maybe something other in, in a big cap space. Well, I think the government feels they've been burnt a little bit with some of the hyperscalers and mega platform companies making acquisitions where they were able to kind of dominate a sector. You know, Facebook has done a, a few of these things. So I think they're just trying to set a precedent where they're making it harder for the very, very large tech companies to kind of go dominate, you know, new industries. But the government really doesn't have a lot of legal standing in stopping this. Microsoft uh, has to kind of pursue this as aggressively as it possibly can for this acquisition, but also for future acquisitions to kind of make uh, targets uh, comfortable that Microsoft is going to really defend them, you know, if, if need be. Um, and, and once again, this is creating uh, gaming as a service, which has technically not really been possible until we basically create cloud infrastructure that is more edge-based, that is really, really low latency. And it's going to be a, a brand new product that customers and consumers are going to, you know, we think like an awful lot. Uh, Timothy, you mentioned that Microsoft is one of the most loved stocks in your coverage universe. Another stock in your coverage universe is T-Mobile, and uh, it's arguably been underloved because it's up 20% year-to-date, and probably not a lot of people saw that coming. What's next year's uh, T-Mobile? Something that is perhaps underloved, everybody doesn't have their focus on, but could do pretty well. The one that everyone hates in my universe is Verizon. We recently upgraded it because their network is improving quite a bit. Um, they are, uh, you know, we think CapEx is kind of coming down. The free cash flow is improving a bit. Uh, but, you know, T-Mobile actually has been largely loved by a lot of my investors. I know it has outperformed quite a bit. But Verizon at this point is, uh, we, we think, very under-owned and very under-appreciated. Yeah, I wasn't saying that T-Mobile's not loved, just underloved. Like, yeah, should have been getting yeah, a little yeah, more, <laughs> right? That looked yeah, like a 2021 sure. stock chart when we put that up, not 22. Timothy, thank you. Thank you. Meantime, Sam bankman fried out on $250 million bond after appearing in court yesterday. Our Kate Rooney joins us this morning to spell out what comes next for the fallen crypto mogul and what might happen on January 3rd, Kate. Hey, Carl, that's right. Sam Bankman-Fried is heading back to his parents' house in the Bay Area after getting that record-breaking $250 million bond. He appeared in a Manhattan court yesterday after being extradited from the Bahamas. He was granted bail on the condition that he hand over his passport and stay within Northern California and some parts of New York. He's also got to submit to mental health counseling. He's wearing an electronic monitoring bracelet and needs government approval for any expenses above $1,000. The judge decided Bankman-Fried wasn't a flight risk since he's gained, quote, sufficient notoriety, making it impossible, as they put it, to engage in more financial crimes without being recognized. His parents, both Stanford law professors, put up equity in their $4 million Palo Alto home that you're seeing here. To secure that bond, it will also be signed by at least one non-family member and needs to be signed by four people total. Bankman-Fried doesn't need to post that full dollar amount I mentioned, but his parents are on the hook for that if he flees or if he fails to show up 
in future court appearances. The U.S. attorney says this is the largest ever pre-trial bond, 25 times bigger than Bernie Madoff's. To put it in context, the former Enron CEO put up five million. Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos, her bond was set at half a million dollars. Bankman-Fried was indicted in federal courts earlier this month. His next court date is January 3rd. Back to you. Uh, Kate, appreciate that. We'll see what happens in a, in a week or two. Uh, Kate Rooney. Uh, Cybersecurity has taken a major beating this year, as you know. ZK, Zscaler CEO Jay Chaudhry is going to join us, break down his outlook for the coming year right after this break. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort. We've got Zscaler CEO Jay Chaudhry on the outlook for cybersecurity coming up in the new year. Uh, markets hanging on to a positive week, at least for the Dow. Let's get a news update with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hi, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. A flood of mostly encouraging economic reports going into the Christmas weekend. Key inflation gauge watched by the Fed. The PCE index showed prices rose just 5.5% over the last year. That's the slowest pace in 13 months. Personal income rose four-tenths of a percent last month, outpacing both inflation and street forecasts. Personal spending also rose, but less than expected, driven by drops in outlays for gas and home furnishings. Consumer sentiment is on the rise, meantime, thanks in part to lowered inflation expectations. The University of Michigan says the one-year outlook for price increases is down to 4.4 percent. That's an 18-month low. And the massive winter storm pounding the nation has led to more than 3,700 flight cancellations. Tracking site FlightAware says Seattle Tacoma International is hardest hit. More than 400 flights in and out of that airport have been scratched due to heavy ice and snow. Shippers are also getting hit. UPS and FedEx say the storm may delay the delivery of some packages past Christmas, guys. So hopefully you've got a backup plan there for stand-up. Ouch. Yeah, Bertha, thank you. Meanwhile, tech's downturn continues to be an issue. Cybersecurity ETF ticker BUG hitting multi-year lows dating back to November of 2020, down more than 30% this year alone. Several stocks leading the group lower, including cloud security company Zscaler, falling more than 60% year-to-date, despite upbeat forecasts for the year ahead in the most recent earnings report. Zscaler's founder and CEO Jay Chaudhry joins us now with his outlook for the company and cybersecurity in 23. Jay, welcome. Good to see you again. So, you know, the billings outlook challenged by the macro. And at the same time, you know, I was just talking to uh, Bipul Sinha over at Rubric, uh, reminding me that economic downturns tend to see a spike in hacking activity. How does 23 really look overall? So <clears throat> there has been a significant increase in hacking and cybersecurity attacks. We recently released a report uh, for 2022. The number of attacks in various categories uh, have gone up over 40%. Now, hacking is uh, impacting many areas. In fact, one of the biggest one recently we're seeing is holiday shopping that's actually impacting consumers as well. But on the enterprise 
front. Our customers are telling us that cyber remains the number one priority. We aren't seeing or hearing from any customers where they are reducing the cybersecurity budget. And with Zscaler, which is not just doing cybersecurity, it's also helping reduce cost and complexity. So I feel very good and bullish about our business opportunity. So is 2023 going to be a consolidation year for cybersecurity in particular? I mean, we could talk about enterprise software overall, but are the stronger players, and we could include Zscaler in with that group, going to buy more struggling players um, with good technology? Yes, customers are tired of lots of point products. Uh, so consolidation is going to happen more and more, but it's more than consolidation of cybersecurity products. Zscaler actually streamlines uh, networks, network, uh, networks uh, products, security products, so it simplifies, it improves user experience, reduces cost, and improves cyber posture. So combination of all those things with a true zero trust architecture that's built for uh, the world of cloud is really what's helping us uh, contrast with some of the legacy firewall security vendors. You can go on a buying spree and buy 10, 10 products or 10 companies and say, I'm the platform provider. That really doesn't make it a platform. A platform means integration of point products in a meaningful fashion. That's what we built. We are like a switchboard that connects any user to any applications without being on the network hence eliminating lateral threat movement. So that's really why we think our business will be strong in 2022. Sorry, 2023. Hey, Jay, in 23, yeah, I know. We're, we're all going to be writing 22 on our checks. Uh, Jay, I wonder how you would characterize the frequency of cyber breaches lately. Um, do you think they're getting uh, fewer and, and farther between? And at this point, would a, would a resurgence in activity, in breaches, I mean, be positive for, for budgets, or at this point, do companies feel they've spent what they're going to spend, period? I think every CIO and CISO understand that cyber is a big risk. I do not think we need one more solar wind to convince the management that they need to spend more. We are seeing uh, strong interest from the board level, CEO level, CIO level to beef up cybersecurity. And the root cause of cybersecurity also lies in having a network architecture that's kind of traditional where things move on the lateral side. By, by changing the network and security together is how Zero Trust achieves better security, and that's what we do. And that's what sets us apart from the traditional network security vendors. And our customers have seen significant savings from us. That's why over 40% of the customers trust Zscaler to protect them in this new world of cloud and mobile world. What about the geopolitical impacts on your company specifically and the industry? Sure, but with the uncertainty in Europe, with that war continuing, with uh, the uncertainty coming out of China, what's the impact on uh, your ability to sell into those markets? You know, I made the decision years ago that we will not sell to companies in Russia and China, okay? Uh, I said there's plenty of market out there, so don't sell in those markets. So it hasn't impacted us. There's a big market outside those countries. But those two geopolitical situations are having impact on our customers. When, you, when it comes to China, 
our customers who are doing business in China, they want to make sure the access from China by the employees to their systems in the U.S. comes through a zero-trust architecture. So we have seen a much higher demand for zero-trust architects from Zscaler to handle that. When it comes to Russia, it's similar things, but our customers in Europe are especially worried about it. It has also put a lot of financial pressure on them. So our customers in Europe are especially asking for consolidation, cost reduction, and simplification. And that's what we're doing. Okay, cuts both ways. They, they need the technology, but they also want a deal. Uh, Jay, thank you, great yes. insight. Great, John. Meantime, uh, Google's low performers may be at high risk in 2023. Our Jennifer Elias joins us with that story when Tech Check comes back in just a couple of minutes. It has been nearly a decade since Microsoft ended its stack ranking program, a, a controversial bell curve approach where uh, employees get categorized as better, best, and, and no good, kind of automatically. But that might be coming back into focus for tech in general as Google tells employees more of them might be at risk for lower rankings when it comes to performance reviews. Our own Jennifer Elias has that story. Jennifer. John, that's right. Employees were told that they more of them will be at risk of low performance and corrective action in 2023 than in years past. Um, we had found that the company had executives had told employees they estimate that a new performance overhaul will result in 6% of employees getting low marks as opposed to 2% in years prior. Um, also, 27% of employees will uh, be eligible likely for high marks, um, or 22% will compared to 27% in years past. So really what's happening right now is the context of the timing of this. Obviously employees are very worried about layoffs and they're seeing this as a sign that the company could be reducing headcount in the new year without actually using layoffs. Well, sure. I mean, and maybe using layoffs also, Jennifer, it seems to me when, when Sundar Pichai was first saying um, uh, our productivity needs to be higher, that seemed to me like a shot across the bow saying either everybody's going to start working a lot harder all of a sudden or there's going to be some kind of cuts. And then it, when companies move into that mode, they need some sort of data backing up who they're going to cut. And if uh, most of the employees were above average <laughs> in the past, that gets harder to do. Isn't this just sort of laying the groundwork for making some kind of cut one way or the other? John, that's what employees seem to think. Uh, this is a data company. They will use data to justify a lot of their actions. So employees are kind of getting the sense that that could be coming for them, um, and especially coupled with the fact that they are constantly asking employees. We listened to the all hand, recent all-hands meeting, and many of the questions are around how distressing they they are feeling around you know this potential change around performance reviews and the economy right now the way it is seeing layoffs happen across the industry so it's very likely and executives have been pretty quiet and have not answered directly the question so it is kind of laying this groundwork for uh, what employees are fearing that's interesting. You know, I mean, whether it's uh, Pichai's comments earlier in the year about being more efficient, clearly uh, your story today. I mean, I just wonder, what do you think the delta, the difference is between uh, aggressive, hard number actions, the way Meta's taken, and, and why Google has uh, taken more time? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I think, Carl, it's important to separate the two companies. For one, I think Google employees don't expect a super mass layoff the way Meta we saw at Meta. They're different companies. You know, Google has um, been a lot more stable and Ruth Poor at the CFO has been a lot more responsible. But um, I, I definitely think that they are a bit smarter and they handle, uh, Ruth Porat has a lot of experience handling these types of situations in all conditions of mm. the economy. And so I think that they have probably set themselves up to use this as a last resort, but try to avoid it and try to move it slow until they know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and they've always, uh, Google yeah, for yeah. the most part, has been uh, knowledgeable and you know wary of the holidays coming up and not making any um, huge decisions before that. Jennifer Elias, thank you. Yeah, having Google search and your own first party data to not be affected by iOS changes as much helps. And Carl, remember that old Seinfeld episode with who has hand in the relationship, right? Between labor and management, now management all of a sudden has <laughs> right. hand. We, we knew it was gonna turn at some point. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, thanks. Meantime, uh, the sky is falling, and by that we mean the first trust cloud computing ETF down about 5% this week. We'll check in on one of the companies dragging it down. See if you can guess in just a couple of minutes. Watch shares of Nutanix today tumbling about 6% on this report that Hewlett Packard Enterprise has ended talks to acquire the cloud computing company. An HPE spokesperson confirmed in a statement to CNBC that, quote, there are currently no discussions with Nutanix. Shares had jumped 25% back in mid-October when the company reportedly was exploring interest from private equity firms and strategic buyers. We're off the lows of the session, John. We were down 10 plus earlier today, but obviously giving a big part of that premium back. Yeah, but yeah, if you look at that chart, you got to remember that back the last day of August, before that earnings report, Nutanix was at $17.30. So yeah, it's it's down to, to around 26, but that's a lot better than that 17.30 and a lot better than the 14 bucks at the lows for the year. Our next guest, meanwhile, lowers his estimates across the biggest ad names, including Amazon, Meta, and PayPal. Tech Check, be back in a couple minutes. Let's get back to the internet sector today. Our next guest lowering estimates across the board on names like Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, and PayPal, thanks to slower recoveries, he argues, in e-commerce and online advertising post-pandemic. In addition to some recession expectations, softening labor market, is there still value here in the long term? Joining us this morning, the analyst behind that call, Colin Sebastian of Baird. Colin, great to have you back. Welcome. Good morning, Carl. Thank you. Uh, make sure we got your audio working here. I'll ask you in the meantime, though, uh, obviously cutting estimates is nothing new. Isn't the more interesting question whether or not the expense control can keep up with what we may see in the way of lower uh, earnings down the road? Yeah, hopefully you can hear me, Carl. I think, I think that's a key silver lining to this call is that while top line revenue trends are likely going to be remain under pressure, in particular in a recession scenario, more companies within the internet sector have been proactive in terms of managing expenses. So in, in advance of what we think will be an inevitable reacceleration of digital trends in, in maybe the second half of the year or 2024, a lot of these companies are going to be in a stronger position from a cash flow and, and margin perspective. So does that mean when you say your return to quality growth picks are names like Amazon and Meta, is that, is that largely leaning on some of that cost reduction? That's, that's certainly part of it. I think the other part, though, is, I mean, in an ironic twist, a recession next year would, would mark the end of 
what's really been a, a long string of, of headwinds you know, for these companies from, from the recovery, spending on travel and offline retail to supply chain, Apple's issues with, with privacy, Europe, et cetera. So, you know, looking beyond that and, and through a recession, we're going to see secular growth trends reaccelerate. And, and that's, that's certainly a part of this call as well, in addition to the expenses. So, yeah, Colin, we were just talking to our own Jennifer Elias about uh, Alphabet, Google, looking like it's putting together something like the old stack ranking uh, when it comes to employee reviews, which, which tends to be a step that, that gets taken before layoffs happen. So is stack ranking coming back, you think, across the sector? Are we going to see stocks start to move higher, not so much on revenue outperformance, but on cost controls, perhaps even driven by layoffs throughout, you know, maybe Q2 and beyond in 23? Well, John, I, I think that once the market fully embeds slower growth, and that's partly why we cut our numbers this week, is consensus estimates still looked like they were factoring in accelerating growth. But, but as those expectations come in, then I think the focus on margins and cash flow can be more of a catalyst. I do think that companies like Alphabet are in the process right now of, of reviewing expense structure not just CapEx, but, but operating expenses or, or headcount. I think you will see more headlines in the new year from companies like Amazon, from Alphabet, around expense management. And, and that combined with more realistic top line expectations, that's the scenario where these stocks can work again. Uh, we're looking at a, a wall graphic here, some of your top picks uh, by category. And the one category is top recession picks. eBay makes some sense, but explain EA and Alphabet. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Alphabet, the resiliency of Google search, meaning that people will still come to Google and look for information and advertisers are going to still spend on paid search. Customers are literally just one click away. And, and search tends to be the last channel of advertising that is cut back in a recession. We saw that happen in, in prior downturns. Uh, and then, of course, YouTube and Google Cloud, I mean, more profitable, diversified revenues over time. I, I think for eBay, you know, in a recession scenario, it's a value-priced marketplace. So as, as people are looking to, to pay lower prices with inflation on everyday products, that's where a marketplace like eBay can re-emerge and, and, and be more attractive to consumers. They're also buying back stock. It's a very profitable, high-margin company, which doesn't hurt. It's going to be fascinating as we sort of clear out the, uh, the holiday dynamic and start talking about uh, longer-term trends on consumer spend uh, for 23. Colin, our best to you. Uh, we'll see you in the new year. Thanks, guys. Really Maybe appreciate it. Great to see you, Colin. If you missed part of the show, um, today or any day this year, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast, Relive the Memories. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in a moment. One more thing, and that's what's coming ahead in 2023, Carl, uh, as we sort of look back on 22. Um, today it's not a huge move, but the NASDAQ is lower once again, uh, which seems like a, a good theme to look uh, forward to. I think 2022 was about buyer's remorse. Elon and Twitter, buyer's remorse. Everybody but Elon and Tesla. 
buyer's remorse. Uh, crypto, if anybody bought crypto, they probably have buyer's remorse in 22. I think in 23, the theme is going to be window shoppers remorse. You know, people who watched all these stocks go down to these levels and said, yeah, they look kind of cheap, but mm, maybe not cheap enough to buy. At some point, I bet in 23, people are going to be saying, should have bought that. Uh, people tend to like uh, a sure thing, and by the time you get that clue, it's usually a little bit too late. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think more sh shorter term, everyone talks about Santa, but we forget how late his arrival classically is. And um, in 2018, the last time we had a down December, you had to wait till the last four sessions, which is essentially where we are. Yeah. So as Kramer said earlier this morning, maybe yesterday's reversal was beginning of something that we can cobble together to at least salvage uh, at least this month. Well, in this weather, it's going to have to be a Rudolph rally because Santa might want to get here. But unless Rudolph's nose lights the way, and hopefully it's a green nose this year as opposed to red, for the That's traders right. out there, we, right? I've seen some great uh, Tauntaun memes on Twitter today. <laughs> Just going I don't out care the, what you smell. <laughs> uh, have a great holiday weekend. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Get to Sully in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.